coming to you from St. Petersburg, Florida. You're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the show that's the authority on where to eat in St. Pete. Here are your hosts, Kevin Godby and Lori Brown. Hi, I'm Kevin Godby. And I'm Lori Brown. Thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the podcast that's it when it comes to restaurants and food information in St. Pete. And be sure to check out our website, stpetersburgfoodies.com. There you'll find great information, including restaurant reviews, the largest St. Pete happy hour list ever created and kept updated, and information on the newest restaurants in town. We are locals that live in downtown St. Pete, and we've been eating our way through this town for years, so you don't have to, but you should. We are a weekly podcast with new episodes coming out every Tuesday afternoon, which you can listen to whenever you feel like it, because it's a podcast, and hopefully you'll subscribe and give us a good review on iTunes or wherever you like to listen. Our guest today is Luis Petrini, the co-owner and general manager at Nueva Cantina. We'll be talking to Louis about his extensive history in the business from Miami to Atlanta, California, and how he finally landed in St. Pete as the opener at Sea Salt. After that, we'll play our music segment, open our lunchbox, share our tip of the week, and have a gluten-free wrap-up. All of that is coming up on today's episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. So grab a snack, pour a drink, and relax while we serve up the show. Today's episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast is proudly served up by Capital Tacos. Yeah, Capital Tacos hit the scene a couple months ago to a lot of excitement. Originating in Lando Lakes, people would drive for miles to their other locations just for tacos. Well, now you can get your Capital Taco fix right here in St. Petersburg. Did you know that every single ingredient they use is made 100% in-house? Yeah, and if I'm correct, that's over 100 fresh-made ingredients. They offer classic tacos all the way up to different and adventurous. What I think is so cool is you can order any of the combinations, not just as a taco, but five total different ways. Taco, burrito, a rice bowl, a salad, or even as nachos. And I'm excited because next time we go, I'm going to get the caballero as a bowl. It has beef brisket, scrambled eggs, jack and cheddar, and chipotle barbecue sauce. Yum. I'm getting that too. So it's Taco Tuesday, so go get your taco on. Stop by and see what all the fuss is about for yourself at 5226 4th Street North in St. Pete. And tell them St. Petersburg Foodies sent you in September and October, and you will receive some free chips and queso. CapitalTacos.com So my original idea was to talk about ketchup and mustard and what you put mustard on and what you put ketchup on. And and then Lori said, well, we can't leave out mayo. So, okay. So I'm not sure where this is going to go because Lori started researching and found some interesting stuff that we're just going to talk about that relates to those three condiments and maybe some others. Well, let's talk about the others first because it was interesting when I pulled this up, I just got things on weird food combinations and it reminded me of some stuff from my childhood and things like that. Like, For instance, somebody thought that it was weird to make a banana and mayonnaise sandwich. Well, I grew up with banana and mayonnaise sandwiches. They're actually yummy. I think it's totally gross. (laughs) They're actually really good. Of course, it has to be on white bread. You would have to pay me to eat that. (laughs) 
Anyways, when I was doing research on alabamaliving.com, I found this one that I thought was interesting, kind of relating to that. This, somebody wrote on a Facebook page saying, you can't beat a peanut butter, miracle whip, and shredded raw cabbage on fresh white bread sandwich. It originated in Georgia, but this woman brought it with her to Alabama. I have to admit, I have never heard of that. And I'm sorry I did now. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Miracle Whip? Actually, I haven't had Miracle Whip in a very long time, but I, I had it when I was younger. And I actually kind of, I liked it because I would switch between regular mayo and Miracle Whip. And it'd be like, oh, it's, it's like you haven't had it in a long time. So now it's like, hey, something new and different. Cool. And then you get sick of it and switch back to mayo. Right. But now I'm, I'm Hellman's with the olive oil in it, extra virgin olive oil. Right. I'm Hellman's or or Kraft. It doesn't matter to me yeah. on that. Free commercial for Hellman's and Kraft. Yeah, there they go. Oh, I mean, we go. <laughs> anyway, here's another one from Six Pet Dad. He said, hopefully this won't out me to anyone who knows my family, as I like my anonymity on here. When we were kids, my dad had this crazy breakfast concoction. You take some hot dogs, quarter them, that is cut them lengthwise, and cross fry them in a little butter or oil. They'll curl, but brown, somewhat as best as you can. Then you take some peanut butter and mix in about equal parts of either honey, maple syrup, cane syrup, or sorghum molasses, depending on your preference. Mix till completely blended. (laughs) Take a piece of fried hot dog, dip it in the peanut butter syrup, and eat it with a bit of hot biscuit. It's actually better with canned biscuits than with homemade. Yes, it's the weird, weirdest thing you've ever heard of and probably only slightly healthier than drinking battery acid, but dang, it's good. Yeah. I'm like, battery acid, weird hot dog thing. <laughs> like, like I, I was in when I heard hot dogs fried in butter, but then when we had the peanut butter, molasses, all that stuff, then I was out. But then when the biscuits came in, I was like, hmm, maybe this could work. Yeah. My dad used to have this thing. He loved to make white toast. And you start it with peanut butter on the bottom. It's a layered concoction. Peanut butter on the bottom. Then you put grape jelly on top of that. And then whole cut chunks of butter on top of that and just eat it straight like that. Again, I'm in on the butter. (laughs) The butter is actually really what makes it. It's actually really good. And sometimes I do crave that, believe it or not. Yeah. Just don't substitute margarine, whatever you do. Oh, it was margarine back then because I think they still use margarine. Okay, I'm going to list off a couple and you give your yay or nay. Okay. Biscuits and chocolate gravy. Disgusting. Fritos in a bowl of milk. Ooh, that's a bad word. Sorry. Peanut butter and onion sandwiches. Mm, no. <laughs> I don't think anything, any of these are going to make the list. Now we're into some of the weirdest things that people put ketchup on. Like a hot dog. Don't get out of my case. I didn't know and no one ever told me until later in life, like a few years ago, later in life, that you're not supposed to put ketchup on hot dogs. I always put ketchup and yellow mustard on hot dogs. Now I'm learning that that's wrong. Well, it might be okay if you're adding the mustard as well. Ketchup by itself, that's bad. From everything I've read, it's a never. But the good news is, based on what you've uh, hinted at, we have way worse things than that. Yes. Someone saw their friend eat rice with ketchup. (laughs) just rice and then someone in here says they put ketchup on their scrambled eggs well i do that too no that one that's not weird i don't think that's that's normal i mean normal for some people i mean not every single time but once in a while oh get this one pinto beans and cornbread 
and then I mash it all up into a weird paste. Pinto beans and cornbread, good. Mash into weird paste. With ketchup. Oh, with, right, with Yeah, ketchup. they're putting ketchup on this. Wow. Good thing we don't have to eat over their house. <laughs> Here's someone who puts ketchup on ham and cucumber sandwiches. Um, I, don't, I don't think that's It sounds cucumber. like a little bit weird, but I think I would try that one. With cucumber? Yeah. That's really messing with my cucumber. I love cucumbers. Takes away from the freshness. Okay, here's one. French toast. With ketchup? I always get looks when I have it at a breakfast dinner diner. My argument is bread dipped in eggs with milk. Those items taste wonderful with a bit of ketchup. Yeah, but okay. <laughs> White rice. Now, we already had that one, but this person puts chocolate in it, too. Aye. <laughs> what were they thinking? I hope they never open a restaurant. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it, right? That's crazy. Here are a few other crazy things people put ketchup on. Corn on the cob? Mm, no. Chicken pot pie. With ketchup? Chicken pot pie. Um, it's a no, but it's not that bad on that one. Popcorn. That's a big no. Right. Cottage cheese. With ketchup? Yes. <laughs> I just, I keep asking. Like, I know it's ketchup because that's what we're talking about. But I just, I, I guess it's my way of saying I, it's hard to believe. Yeah, right? It's really hard to believe people put, would put stuff on these things. So we talked about the hot dog. So on chowhound.com, this comes from their article. The whoop is huge, however, and it's multifaceted. We're talking about hot dogs. No one should squirt ketchup on a hot dog after the age of 18, say officials at the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council. See? I know. It says you have to grow up some time. You have to grow up some time, says Council President Janet Riley, the queen of ween in her hot dog etiquette video. There's actually Hmm. a video called the queen of, or she's called the queen of ween. Yeah, I'm I'm not saying anything on that. (laughs) Ha ha! Apparently, the dislike goes back to the early days of baseball when to protect patrons from sugar-loving yellow jackets and flies, hot dog vendors only carried mustard with them. Oh. So there actually is an origination for not using ketchup. Thank the flies. (laughs) People are pretty frank about the horror that this pairing creates. Ketchup on your hot dog is the end of the world, says Bill Savage in the Chicago Tribune. Savage gave a ketchup, the condiment of controversy, talk at the Chicago Hot Dog Festival last summer. For Savage, you're not a real Chicagoan if you put the tomato-based condiment on your dog. It's an identity thing. Well, I guess that about sums it up for me and ketchup on hot dogs. We'd love to hear from you, your thoughts and some weird concoctions that you or your family puts together and eats. Please email us at lunchbox at stpetersburgfoodies.com. We'll read our mail during our lunchbox segment. You know what they put on french fries and hollands instead of ketchup? What? Mayonnaise? Nah. <laughs> I've seen them do it, man. They fucking drown them in this shit. Have you been to Anata lately? If you haven't, you really must go. Kevin and I hadn't been for a while and recently rediscovered it, and it's just blowing our minds. The menu's fantastic. Everybody thinks of cheese and charcuterie when they think of Anata. They do a fantastic presentation, and it's always amazing. But I would really recommend branching out and trying some of this stuff off of the menu. Recently, we had the uh, tuna tartare, and it's some of the best I've ever had. 
they put it atop a seaweed salad, and that just balances it out. And they have these little crisps on top. It's just amazing. They always do a wonderful job with the octopus appetizer as well. And then we tried the oxtail tortelloni the last time we were there, and it was just superb. But on my list next is the short rib bolognese, and I can't wait to try that. The only reason I haven't tried it yet is because the specials have always been too good to pass up. If you haven't been, you definitely must go to Anata. Anata Wine Bar is located at 300 Beach Drive in downtown St. Petersburg. They open every day at 4 p.m. You really must go to Anata. You're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, and today we're joined by Luis Petrini, the co-owner and GM of Nueva Cantina in St. Pete and Tampa. Louis, welcome. Well, it's great to be here. First, we want to hear a little bit about your background, and then we'll talk about the restaurant. Here's what I know. I know that your cell phone is a 404 Atlanta area code, and I know that before you were in St. Pete, you were in California. That is all correct. I was born and raised in Rhode Island. I left there when I was uh, 18 years of age, and I moved to the other coast of Florida, where my career started as a barback in a hotel lobby. And then I uh, got promoted to bartender and moved to Atlanta a year and a half later. And that was back in the uh, early 80s, real early 80s. And got a job again as a bartender in a big nightclub there. It was a 24-hour nightclub, and it was crazy. I saved enough money up back in those days. We didn't have ATMs. We had uh, drop boxes that you would uh, make your deposits. And I opened up a little kiosk uh, where I sold uh, VHS and beta tapes, which most people wouldn't even know what those are. From there, I opened the first compact disc store in Atlanta. It was called American Compact Disc. But my never left the nightclub, still worked the entire time. And my love was always in that business. I got the opportunity about three years after I arrived to open my first bar. It was called uh, Color Box, and it was in an area called Virginia Highlands. And me and my best friend, Michael Krongold, opened it together. So but, it was actually your, your bar? Yeah, it was mine. It was the first uh, ownership in this industry. Tampa is number 17, so we've come <laughs> a long way. So Mike and I created this really cool space, and we had live music, and we had uh, DJs. It wasn't very big. It only held maybe 100, 150 people. Well, the neighborhood did not like our success. So when our lease was up for renewal, we, we were not renewed. And we decided to take a huge risk and go into downtown Atlanta. And we took over a two-story building and created a huge nightclub called Velvet. Extremely successful. It was very celebrity-driven back in those days. When, um, when was this? What year? Uh, probably mid-80s, mm-hmm. late, mid to late-80s. When Madonna had her Bedtime Stories tour, she rented the top floor out for her rehearsals. Bono called us from his plane and asked us to keep the club open because he was nice. coming in. I mean, there were, I have a lot of those stories that I never talk about anymore. And he still hasn't found what he's looking for. He still hasn't. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was a great time. It was a great time for me because I was young and, you know, and, and part of that culture, not only creating that culture. Sadly, we had a shooting inside the nightclub three years into it on Halloween night. A woman came in and uh, was upset her boyfriend was cheating on her and had a gun in her bra and shot him three times in the back on the dance floor. He survived. Wow. um, But the chaos that ensued of all those bodies, uh, there was over a thousand people inside the club and probably another 1,500 outside who were waiting in line to get in. We spent the next two years in court. 
There are uh, other people shot besides No one was shot oh. except for him. There were people injured in trying to get, no one seriously, mm-hmm. but there were people injured in trying to exit the, the exit doors in the nightclub. Obviously, having your three major networks parked outside your nightclub for three or four days in a row as your lead-in story and et cetera, et cetera. That part of my career was over. So, um, um, my and par- that was before the day, days of now. There's mass shootings all the time. All the time. And we had security back then. I think we were one of the first clubs to do uh, wands and metal detectors. And I had, you know, uh, three Atlanta police officers on that night who were off duty, you know, but working extra money. They didn't win a suit. We won every suit because all the suits were based on not having proper security, and, and we certainly did, but we lost the business. So Michael decided to stay in it, and he's still in it today, doing very well, and I, it shook me up to the core. So I ended up buying a little hole-in-the-wall pizza parlor in Midtown Atlanta. I ended up opening up an uh, Italian restaurant called The Big Red Tomato. And I had that for seven years and uh, turned it in from nothing into something pretty special. Did you sell it to someone else? I did sell it, Mm -hmm. and they uh, did not keep the same concept. But what I loved about that restaurant, it was my family's recipes. My dad is uh, his family from Camabasso, Italy, and, and the recipes I used were the ones I was taught growing up. So it was pretty special to me. I realized I didn't know enough about the food industry that I self-taught myself, and, and especially you guys now, you're so submerged, you know all the layers of what mm-hmm. it takes to have a successful restaurant. So even though it was successful in volume, it wasn't successful financial because I didn't understand that part of right. it. So I decided to go into the corporate world, and there was a famous restaurateur in Atlanta. His name is Tom Catherall, <laughs> Chef Tom, very well known. And he owned a large group of restaurants called uh, Here to Serve. And they were all beautiful restaurants slash nightclubs, which was right up my alley with Mm -hmm. my background. And he took me under his wing. I had a lot of mentors during those couple of years. And I ended up uh, managing a place at a big mall, Lennox Mall, called Prime Steakhouse, which was a very upscale white tablecloth. So I'm now getting my education I never got before. Um, and it was at their expense. Plus, I was getting paid. So it was a win-win for yeah. all of us. There's nothing like on-the-job learning. Nothing like right, on-the-job. Exactly. Why I was working at Prime, another well-known restaurateur globally, a guy named Jeffrey Chattero, had come in for dinner. And he watched me, and he liked me, and whatever. And he kind of snaked me uh, <laughs> into leaving because he was going to come into the Atlanta market. At that time, he owned the Blue Door at the Delano in Miami with Madonna. He owned... I used to go to the Blue Door back in those days. I I, I worked down in Miami back then. Yep, yep. It was great. So he asked me, he was going into partnership with Maxim Magazine, and they were going to do a chain of steakhouse. uh, There was a plan to open 10 to 12 of them called Maxim Prime. And it was going to be where girls were dressed very... um, Scantily? Scantily would be a nice word. They wore beautiful black slips, and they were all gorgeous. And we had several sets of twins, which was interesting. And it was a really beautiful design, and it was a great menu. We opened it up at the Glen Hotel. So obviously, I left Tom and went with Jeff. And then the owner of the hotel, the Glen, and Mr. Chattero did not get along. They were not best friends, to say the least. So they had a mutual agreement to let him out of his lease. 
But there was a company out of Miami Beach called Tecton Hospitality that was running the hotel side where I was doing the food and beverage. My official title was food and beverage director at that hotel. We had a beautiful rooftop bar. We had a lounge. We had a full dining room. So my career had definitely taken a drastic so, jump at so that So is this part. the 90s now? 90s, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, early 90s, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they called me and wanted to fly me down to Miami Beach and talk to them about being their corporate food and beverage director for the hospitality company. And they were just about to secure a new property in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, called the Iron Horse Hotel, one of the coolest hotels I've ever seen in my life. It's an old mattress factory, and it's a very manly design, but it's also appealing to everybody. And I was sent up there, and I spent over a year there creating their food and beverage there. I created one of the restaurants there called Smith, which I'm very proud of. It's a farm-to-table restaurant. In the 90s, really? Yeah, this is in the early 2000s oh, okay. at this point. Oh, but it's before farm-to-table oh, really became yes, the, yes. the hit hot word. And, you know, in Milwaukee, you know, has so much great cheese and dairy and, you know, pig and <laughs> boar and all that. So it was a great, it was only like 40 seats, which was interesting. I think it's still the number one rated uh, restaurant in Milwaukee on TripAdvisor. It was a year ago or so when I looked. So I'm very proud of that. Then, unfortunately, uh, my dad got ill and they lived in uh, South Florida. So I'm in Milwaukee now, end up in Delray Beach, Florida. Unfortunately, passed away shortly after I got there. But I went back to work for Jeffrey. He was opening a restaurant in Miami Beach called El Scorpion, which was my first taste of Mexican. I had never even thought about Mexican until I got involved with that restaurant. After my dad passed away, mom got sick, and I ended up being her primary caretaker for three years, and I created my own company called Hospitality Industry Solutions, HIS, which I still own. That was a great way for me to be able to take care of family and still work and but work on my terms you know right so, without having the brutal schedule of uh, somebody in the restaurant business. exactly well the first client that hired me was the hilton palm beach and i went in there and i i do what the dudes on tv do go in and fire everyone and reconcept <laughs> and you know uh so that was a great challenge but it was very rewarding then i get a call from tecton to go to sardinia italy to the grand hotel in porto cervo and it was nice. And it was off season, and I was there to help them rebrand their F&B in the hotel. A small little mama-papa place, but great opportunity. Wow. And a great time, needless to say. And I met this wonderful woman when I was there. She was doing the hotel side, and she was from Los Angeles, and I was doing the F&B side. But it was only her and I on the property. Her name is Leslie Carey. We became best friends. We only had each other. We didn't speak Italian. We're in the middle of, you know, (laughs) God knows where. So we ended up bonding, needless to say. We had a ball there. So now I go back to Delray. I get a call to go to Los Angeles to do the Culver Hotel. And the Culver Hotel is a 90-year-old iconic hotel. And it's where the uh, Munchkins stayed when they filmed The Wizard of Oz. Oz, Yes. (laughs) And that's the, the movie Under the Rainbow is about their staying there at that hotel. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. and in front of in my desk in my office, I had a picture of them in their 
you know, you and I sleep long ways in a bed. There were five of them to a bed <laughs> sideways, you know. And there was a Sometimes ton- I end up sideways. Yeah, I always do. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but there was a tunnel underneath that uh, Judy Garland to get to the studio. And this was right between uh, MGM and the old Desilu Studios. It was plop right in the middle of the two. And it was an incredible experience for me. I just loved it. Well, now Leslie comes back in because she lives in L.A. And I'm telling her, I just got this opportunity. Well, you're going to come live with me. And she was at this point the president of the biggest loser worldwide resort. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. She took a huge <laughs> chump. And uh, we had a great life for the time I was out there. And they used to say, her and I and three 60-pound dogs. So I finished that project. And I got a call from the owners of Sea Salt here in St. Petersburg. Well, originally the one they had was in um, uh, Naples. 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 And they found out about me from the place I did in Palm Beach, which I forgot to mention was called Pompous Grill. They knew someone mutually that knew me from there. So we did about, I was still living in Los Angeles, and we, were, we did about, I don't know, maybe eight hours of Skype interviews, a couple of red eyes. I decided to take it, and they decided to offer it. It was only supposed to be for six months, and I was going to go back to Los Angeles. My next client was uh, Amiche's at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Was this 2013? 20, what are we, 2014. Yeah. And that's when we met you, actually. That is. Yeah, as soon as I arrived. Actually, if it's more truthful, I stalked Louie on Facebook. (laughs) That's funny. Because I found out he was going to be the GM at Sea Salt. You're not the only one who did that, by the way. <laughs> she still does it. I do not. <laughs> I fell in love with St. Pete. I mean, that's a whole nother story. But to come to the city under the guise, not knowing the city at all, of something that was as spectacular as that was at the time, no one had ever spent that kind of money on a restaurant here in the city. And, and no one had the pre-opening excitement that they had. So. Correct. It was, you know, everyone wanted to know who this dude was that just got here from L.A. in his <laughs> shark skin suits and totally looking out of place. And it was a great opportunity. And I'm very proud of what my involvement was in that restaurant. And when it was over, I decided I didn't want to go to uh, back to L.A. That I, I was tired of traveling and I felt that this was going to be home. The other part that made me stay, not just the aesthetic beauty of it all and the quaintness of it all, and the incredible people who live here. But the restaurant community, I had never experienced that in my career, no matter all those great places I was at. To have all of the other restaurant owners take you under their wing, make you feel at home, it was a blessing. And We're very blessed with the restaurant community that we have here. Everyone rallies behind each other. It's, it's really a special thing to see. It's yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, I was even, I mean, this, this is years ago, obviously, but when I first, when I was new here and I started seeing that Tony from Grazi mm-hmm. is going to all these other restaurants, doing check-ins, taking pictures of himself at the restaurant and, the food and, and saying how great they are. And I'm thinking like, but wait, isn't that your competition? But that's not, that's not how the restaurateurs behave around here. It's not the We're, mentality. Nothing was more evident than the recent hurricane. You know, we all were in touch with each other. Uh, we were all many restaurant depots. If you, we had it and you didn't, even with help, you know, if you were blessed enough to have extra help that could get to you but couldn't get to the other restaurants. And it was very evident that. And the group is really, really close. There's a founding group of members that have been here for a long time. And fortunate for me, they took me in 
we we try to get together at least once a month as restaurant owners, but we don't talk about our restaurants. We go do something silly or we go irritate a restaurant owner by 18 <laughs> bar and restaurant owners showing up at your restaurant for dinner, you know, but it, it's great. And that's what I love, uh, you know, really love about this city. Yeah. We're going to take a short break and when we come back, we'll talk about uh, Nueva Cantina and some of our favorite menu items. We'll be right back. Hi, Gordon. What you been up to? Big things, Fred. I'm a full-time student at bartending college. Wow. I never had time for a formal education. Well, I decided to make time, but it's not easy. Bartending college is a four-week course. Gee, how far along are you? Well, let's see. This is Tuesday, the third week. Hey, I'm a junior, and I'm late for a daiquiri lecture. Why don't you join me? Why not? Bartending college. You've already spent enough time on the other side of the bar to qualify for enrollment. Bartending college. We'll teach you everything you need to know. You'll get a starter set of bartenders' jokes like... So I said to the guy, you can stay, but the cow's gotta go. <laughs> Bartending college. You'll learn how to roll drunks, water the liquor, and skim the cash register. And remember, as the bartender, you drink for free. For free. Last call for integrity. You're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. And our guest today is Luis Petrini from Nueva Cantina. And let's talk about Nueva, but let's talk about how, what happened to get you there. Well, after Sea Salt, I was introduced to someone who owned the old lobster pot in Reddington Beach, Florida. We met. She wanted someone to come in, and she still was the landlord owning the property, and she still owned the liquor license. So it was a partnership, but it was my concept, my money. And that's how a restaurant called Cucina Aki was born. And it was my first uh, dabble into this type of cuisine. But unlike Nueva Cantina, it was more Southwestern. We took the flavors of New Mexico and Colorado and Baja, California, and created it. I realized shortly after opening it that that area is very um, seasonal. They're not looking for that kind of dining. They're looking for the fish fry, all you can eat kind of mentality. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's not downtown St. Pete. No, no. And no insult to anybody who might live there that's listening to this, but that was my experience. And so I decided uh, within four months of opening it that I was going to be smart and uh, get out get of it. Out. So I approached the uh, partner at the time who was the landlord, as I mentioned, and I said to her, I, I'm not happy here, and we can do one of three things. We can sell it together. We could close it, because at that point, I didn't care. And she had nothing to lose. It was my money at the time, you know. And, and I said, or you can find someone to buy me out. And she found the latter. Unfortunately, it only lasted about eight, ten weeks after that. And It's too bad, too. The food was spectacular. Well, we, we got there one time, I think, while you were still open. I was really proud of it. Yeah. I really was. But, but you also missed downtown, too. You missed I it. missed it so <laughs> much. I, you know, I had a beautiful condo on the beach. I walk out on the sand. I'm like, why am I miserable? Anybody else would love this. I just missed the energy and the people and, and the restaurant friends and all of that. So uh, luckily, I was able to get out and then... Uh, Hilton called me back, and they had me do some consulting for them. Wyndham had me go to Greenville, South Carolina. Then I got a call from my buddy Dan telling me that El Gallo Grande was about to close. I think they were going to close on that Monday, and I got the call on that Friday. And I had heard of El Gallo, but I'm embarrassed to say I never went. So I knew nothing of the space at all. It started out great. I've heard that, but I also know now a little bit of the history. The same 
owner owned the property but was not in the restaurant business, had three different operators in there during the two and a half years under the same name. So you never knew what you were going to get right. when you walked in. That so, was our experience. Yeah, I heard the first one was great. It and was. then I heard that's pretty much uh, where it changed. But I loved the space. And I'm like, who did this? You know, who knew that later they'd become two of my best friends? To back up a little bit, when I was at Kusina Aki, you never know how fate comes into your life. And there was this couple that would keep coming in the restaurant with their three little kids in tow. I think at the time they might have been two, five, and seven or something. And they were just really nice people from Boston. And we hit it off. I'm from Rhode Island. And then one day they invited me over to their home uh, for a cookout or something. And I didn't know anybody on the beach. So I went. Well, that was the day that this huge friendship, long-lasting, happened. And their names are Aaron and Rocco Rinaldi. And Rocco is my best friend in the world. And he is the business partner at New Ava Cantina, both locations. So he came to me, and he, he's not in our industry. He's a very, very successful uh, computer software uh, company. And he said to me that he'd be interested in getting involved in divesting some money, and would I be interested in talking to him about it, which we did. And that's how we ended up purchasing El Gallo Grande, which we created New Ava Cantina. It was a big risk. I went back and forth whether or not I was going to keep the Mexican concept with having such a bad reputation or if I was going to do another concept, fresh, new, no negativity or anything like that. You started off with uh, just running it as El Gallo Grande for about a month. A month. You're absolutely right. And that was just to get a feel for it. Because you took the same chef from... Cusina Aki, yep, yep. Paul Dubar came with me. And so did Claudio and Beatrice. They're from uh, Central Mexico and they do all our flavor profiles. But that team was with me out on the beach. I just had enough faith in in me as an operator and them with their talent in the kitchen that I knew it would take a little bit longer, but we could turn this around. And I give the Vitelli brothers uh, a lot of credit for that. Johnny and Paul had created such a beautiful environment. I didn't want to change it. It didn't happen overnight. It was a gradual process to convince people to come in. And then, uh, in fact, kudos to the foodie blog, because when you guys ran the very first story about us, we had seen a huge change in our business. Word was out. People were now willing to give it another try. We're grateful for that. Thank you, guys. And, and Thank you for keeping the Mexican. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's just grown. Our tequila dinners there are huge. Our clientele base is so loyal. They sell out every single time. They do. That's they awesome. do. They're usually the third Wednesday of each uh, month. Our reviews are still great. If it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of mentality. Now it was time to figure out what was next. So we decided to uh, get a food truck. And any of you who are listening who have a full food truck, God bless you. Um, it's not, <laughs> it is not the easiest. The Vitelli brothers did the hand-painted murals on it, and it's beautiful and all of that. But it's a difficult uh, part of our, our culinary scene. Um, it's a lot of work for a little bit of reward. So now we're very picky and choosy about which ones we choose to do. The next uh, thing was, all right, where do we go from here? Rocco and I talked about it. and. We had our sights on two different areas. One would be the Seminole Center area near Largo, and the other was South Tampa. We knew they were both emerging areas and that they were not oversaturated with restaurants. And the same gentleman, Dan, who told me about El Gallo, told me about... Sorenen. Yes. Told me about uh, 
loves artifacts on the corner of South McGill and Gandhi. And we went and looked at it. I remember calling Rocco going, if you don't want to do this, I'm doing it. This has our name written all over it. I just saw the vision, you know, knowing what we've done before. I drive my son to school in South Tampa, so he didn't tell me where it was, but I found it. You found it. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we uh, hired the boys again, uh, the Vitelli brothers who do the interior. Did a beautiful, beautiful job. It's twice the size of our location here. The menu's the same. And we're already talking about the third one, which obviously is going to be in Seminole Center, seeing we did it the other way around. So we're hoping to get that open next year. And when did you open the South Tampa location? Uh, Mid-July. Uh, we did a soft opening for a couple of weeks before our grand opening. And thank you guys for coming. And Absolutely. it was unbelievable how much of St. Pete was down there for that. All the boys, again, all the restaurant owners were all there. And it was... Uh, Bigger than we ever thought, and it didn't give us time to breathe. You kind of hope as a restaurant owner you get a few weeks to work out. We didn't have that luxury. There was a line at that door from the day we opened it. They were waiting for it. It's a good problem to have. It is. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I, I love Mexican food in general and Tex-Mex, Southwestern. I love all that stuff. And He would uh, eat it every day if I didn't stop him. I would. At Nueva Cantina, I like that you guys have some of the, well, a lot of the standard things that people expect and desire when they think Mexican food. But I also like that you have your own unique twist on a lot of things, like having the... Uh, the short rib tacos? Or the short rib tacos. That's not your typical Mexican, but it's really amazing. It's one of our best There's, sellers. The lobster and... The, the surf and turf tacos right. are yep. amazing. Yep. And then the, the taco loco, aptly named. It's bigger than your head. The only other name for it could be this taco is bigger than your head. <laughs> it's pretty much every ingredient we have in the kitchen is in that taco. And uh, how, how often does that get ordered by them? I would say several times a night it gets ordered. And it's usually big burly guys who order it that can eat it all. <laughs> and then we've got the other stuff too. You know, the seafood enchiladas and... Not your traditional. Our ribs fall off the bone. You wouldn't think of getting baby back ribs, but it's a beautiful chipotle rub and a beautiful uh, Mexican-inspired uh, barbecue sauce on it. And so, I know what I'm getting next time. <laughs> they're, they're so yummy. So, yeah, we've got a little bit of all of that, too. You know, uh, we do do the table-side guacamole, which people like also. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of old, a little bit of new. There is Tex-Mex on that menu, but there's still some Southwestern flavors and Central Mexico flavors. So mm -hmm. it's not, we don't want to be pigeonholed into one or the other. So. Yeah, right. And, and I like that. So you guys, you're open seven days a week? We are open seven days a week, both locations. Monday, kids eat free at both locations with a purchase of an entree. That's why I take Mondays off. <laughs> Tuesday, we do our uh, Taco Tuesday, $3 tacos for most of them. Wednesday is $3 margaritas, $12 pitchers. Thursday, buy one fajita. The second one is half off, which is a really good deal if you order the surf and turf fajitas. Friday, I have to make a living. Saturday, uh, we do an all-day happy hour from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m., which means $3 margaritas, $3 well, $3 house wine. And then Sunday's our big brunch. We do a beautiful separate menu that you only get from uh, 11 to 3 on Sunday. You get your bottomless mimosas for $12, and you get your 40-item Bloody Mary bar where you make your own Bloody Mary. Tampa, we have a huge outdoor patio, and that patio uh, holds 110 people, so we built a stage, and there we'll be doing live entertainment on uh, Sunday brunch, and then Friday and Saturday happy hour from 5 o'clock to 9 p.m. we'll be doing live DJs playing merengue and salts and all that great music out it on is the a patio. Very, it's a large kind of courtyard-style yeah, patio. It? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's big. Yeah. 
Oh, and one thing we don't want to forget about is the new line of hot sauces. Yeah, we got four great ones. Uh, what's your favorite? My favorite is one that even I have to use sparingly, and, and I'm a person that can just eat raw jalapenos or fresh jalapenos, right. no problem. It's in Spanish, it's Pocion de los Muertos, which means potion of the dead. It is, and so, it's that hot. You know, if you look at the four labels, there are little thermometers on the side of each one, and it lets you know the heat level. There's a sweet, very sweet one, which I like, and then go all the way to the extreme of yeah, the yeah. one you like, Kevin. Yeah, the sweet heat, taste of mango, and yeah. the poco fiesta. Yeah, and we are uh, we sell all four in the in, in both locations. They're four ninety nine a bottle, or all four for fifteen ninety nine. We're in partners with Riva Foods, and we're getting gift boxes now. And we just started sampling a specialty one we're going to do for Christmas, a Scotch bonnet one. That will oh, only nice. be available during the holidays. Nice. I have to get them all. And it's not too early to start your holiday shopping. <laughs> there you go. Especially if you have somebody in your life like me that loves hot sauces. There oh, I think go. that was a hint. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back. This is Chris Walker. And you're listening to Welcome back to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Our music segment showcases only local artists, and today we have the stylings of the Chris Walker Band. The Chris Walker Band plays all over St. Pete and also tours internationally. Chris started writing his own songs and music when he was 12 years old. He's performed across Florida and also on Norwegian cruise ships. Check out their website at chriswalkerband.com. Before we hear the music, we have Chris's answers to our Fast Five Foodies questions that he sent in from the road. My favorite food is a soup that I had in Greece when I was touring with my band for Armed Forces Entertainment. My daughter Cadence and I really love to eat at Grazia Italian Grill in St. Pete. I like salt and pepper, but I'm going to have to go with salt and pepper. I like cilantro. I don't know why it gets such a bad rap as the devil's herb. I really love to cook for family and friends, and my daughter's favorite dish that I make is Portobello Alfredo. Our featured original tune from the Chris Walker Band is Can You Hear Me? Hear me. 
Once again, that was the Chris Walker Band with their original song, Can You Hear Me? And now, welcome to our lunchbox segment. And we are so hungry, and maybe a little hungover, so we're going to the mill. Yummy. Lori wanted a burger, and so did I, until I saw the breakfast burrito. Yeah, I did want a burger, and I got a burger, and it was absolutely amazing. They changed up their meal burger. They used to have some sort of lemon creme fresh that was part of the recipe, and now they've got a pimento cheese on there. And I wasn't quite sure what I would think of it, but wow, was it good. And the way the burger was cooked, it was perfect. I ordered it medium rare, it came out medium rare, and it was so tasty. Oh my God, it was good. Yeah, they did a perfect cook on that because half the time we order medium rare at other places and it's got just a tiny little bit of pink in it. This one had some pink and a little bit of red too. We like it more medium rare, closer to rare. And yeah, that burger is right up there with the burger at uh, Brick and Mortar. Oh, yes. Those are two of the best burgers in in downtown St. Pete. I had the, I called it the breakfast burrito. It's really the Huevos Rancheros burrito. It's awesome. It has sausage and bacon. I like that. Along with the uh, eggs, chipotle refried lentils, chimichurri, avocado crema, and pimento cheese. Yeah, we both had pimento cheese. And I forgot to mention that mine has the almighty bacon. You can never go wrong with bacon. So while we have lunch, we also like to read our mail. Our lunchbox segment is where we read opinions and answer questions from our listeners. This week, we have a pretty good mailbag. Ed Allen, the owner of Central Melt uh, here in downtown St. Pete on Central Avenue, hence the name. Ed says, the podcast is amazing and it's going to be an amazing success. Freaking dope. Thanks, Ed. Good to hear that. We have a new uh, review on iTunes. We got five stars from Matt16W. He says, excellent podcast, great content and interviews, good mix of interviewing local chefs and restaurant owners. And thank you, Matt. Then Lisa uh, Johnny writes in uh, regarding chain restaurants. She says, many chains or franchises are typically managed by a local family and provide jobs to local residents. Good quality food is what's important. There are some great new places with Florida roots that aren't Applebee's or an Outback. Thank you, Lisa. Hal Friedman also wrote in on his feelings about chains. He says, I listen to your podcast on chains and I agree with you. I don't hate chains per se. I won't go to a single location restaurant if the food is bad. At least I won't go more than once. Why would I go to a chain with mediocre food or a style of food I don't care for? Example, bar food. Themes don't do it for me. Food does. I like Maple Street. Good food, good attitude. Chains often have difficulty maintaining quality when they expand. For example, we went to Bonefish when they had a single location. They maintained their original quality until Outback got involved. Surprisingly, it stayed reasonably good even as they grew, but it's not the same as it was under the original ownership. Mazzaro's will never be a chain. Part of their success is having Pat and Sam there as the, quote, adults in the room. You can't replicate that. I have more tolerance for bad service provided the food is good. The first time we went to Il Ritorno, the week they opened, we took serious foodie friends from San Francisco. The waiter was awful, couldn't pronounce the dishes, didn't know anything about them, tried to steer us to expensive wines he couldn't pronounce. Embarrassing to have our friends there. He's gone, and Il Ritorno is one of our favorite spots in St. Pete. Awesome food. The places I avoid. Hofbrau House, Ford's Garage, Yeoman's, McDonald's, Subway, etc. Small to large chains, or crappy singles with food that isn't of interest, and ambiance that annoys. I do enjoy Oak and Stone prefer pizza box for food. 
It's decent food, it's conveniently located, and the service so far has been excellent. Ambiance too, themed if you consider contemporary industrial a theme. Your condo is likely contemporary industrial. It is, you're right. Because the kitsch aspect of Fords and Yeomans is what I'm afraid might carry over to the beautiful Suzu space, I've been a little harsh on 23's new venture. If the food and ambiance stay as good as, as Suzu, I welcome them. I expect service to be fine. Jesse is still managing. Last thought. I do prefer the fact that local singles and chains that start and headquartered here, example Kawa, put the lion's share of revenues back into our economy. I generally gravitate to those places with restaurants, retailers, etc. Some exceptions where quality and service has been maintained. Starbucks, Apple, Williams-Sonoma, Costco. Good podcast. Thanks, Hal. Sounds like Hal's been reading the Keep St. Petersburg local website, which is good. We have another one from Hal. Going back to episode one, Hal says, I listened and do not completely agree. Lori makes some good points, and I agree that my not using a plastic straw has little effect, but Starbucks switching to all biodegradable straws and other plastics by 2020 will have an impact. It's not just the sea turtles. It's also the growing landfills in areas where they're not as lucky as we are with waste disposal technology, as you point out. St. Pete is the exception in that arena. I do agree it's wrong for a restaurant to give you the stink eye if you ask for a straw. Although I am guilty of a similar behavior when a smoker sits near me in the outdoor seating area of a restaurant. Even a stinkier eye when I see someone toss their cigarette butt in the street, treating the world as their ashtray. Well, thanks, Hal. That, thank you for listening to episode one and writing in. And I have to say, uh, I couldn't agree with you more on the cigarettes. We had someone share an article with us uh, just earlier today that claims that cigarettes are a bigger cause of pollution than straws. And on the Starbucks initiative, uh, two things. One, this is just a little snippet from Forbes, quoting, Starbucks plastic straws are recyclable. However, given their size and light weight, they are often mechanically sorted out during the recycling process and end up in landfills and waterways. There's that. However, also in that same article in Forbes, they say Starbucks has settled on an alternative to plastic straw use, the adult sippy cup lid. The lid features a raised lip and will be fully recyclable. That sounds like a better solution to me. There's a lot more on this in episode one, which I think you'll enjoy if you haven't heard it yet. That's it for a mailbag. Uh, Just two quick things in restaurant news. We have two new restaurants that recently opened. There is the Crafty Squirrel. That's the spot where Fortunato's used to be on the 200 block of Central Avenue. It's uh, artisan pizzas, which are awesome. And we have a write-up and review on that on stpetersburgfoodies.com. And also on the website, you will find our write-up of the new Saki 23. They took over the space that used to be Suzu. You know, so all of that info, along with some major food, food porn, can be found at stpetersburgfoodies.com. Please email us at lunchbox at stpetersburgfoodies.com with your opinions, feedback, and questions to be featured in this segment. This is Chef Kaplan from Grace Restaurant. You're listening to St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. And for this week's St. Petersburg Foodies Tip of the Week, let's wag you. I'm sure you've probably heard of this famous form of beef, but what should you really know about it? Well, the long and short of it is there are several different countries that produce wagyu beef. However, the true wagyu beef comes from Japan. There are four different strains, but 90% of it are called Japanese black. 
the highest prized Wagyu is Kobe. So when you hear Kobe, just make sure it comes from Japan because there actually is an American form of Wagyu beef. We kind of crossbreed over here to create that. A good amount comes from Australia as well. What makes it actually different? What really sets it apart is the marbling, which gives it such deep, rich flavor. At times, they actually take special feeds that are made to feed them out of forage, grasses, rice, and rice straw, and then they supplement that with corn, barley, soybean, wheat bran, and in some cases, interestingly enough, even beer or sake. So when you're paying a really high price for Wagyu, make sure you ask where it comes from if it doesn't specify it on the menu. You may have heard that some herders would actually massage their cattle to alleviate muscle tension. However, one special note, this is just a myth. Thank you for listening. Thanks to our guests and thanks to our sponsors. Our announcer is Candice Aviles from Meet the Chef and Channel 10 News, and our intro music is provided by the Chris Walker Band. We'd like to remind you to check out all the latest restaurant reviews, foodies news, top 10 lists, and updated happy hours on stpetersburgfoodies.com. If you're listening to us on iTunes or any other podcast app, please give us a rating, and also remember to share the show with your foodie friends. Until Until next next time, time, may your food be hot and your bubbly cold. Three tomatoes are walking down the street. Papa tomato, mama tomato, and baby tomato. Baby tomato starts lagging behind, and Papa tomato gets really angry. Goes back and squishes him. Says, ketchup. Hmm. <laughs> ketchup. See you around. <laughs>